the recorder's going. I can't tell you how many interviews I've done with the recorder not turned on. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Just a second. There. All right. I am on Skype with Darren and Amanda of the website Outer Passage. And Darren reached out to me and said, let's do an interview. And I said, okay, let's do it. And I, this, this is it. So I looked at your <laughs> website and, and uh, it looks to me like you guys are setting up a business to take people sailing offshore. But, so tell us quickly about that. And then I want to get into your story about the adventures you've had already. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, first off, yeah, I'm, I'm Darren. And I'm Amanda. Yeah, we started sailing about three years ago. Uh, figured out we liked sailing so much. Yeah, we want to kind of stay long term on the water. So yeah, hence we started this business um, a little less than a year ago. And uh, yeah, we we offer both offshore and kind of inshore uh, charters on what we have now as a performance multi hull. It's a it's a trimaran. Um, and yeah, kind of show people what offshore sailing is like, and specifically on a multi hull. Yeah, so you have a trimaran. I see a lot of catamarans out there, but I don't see trimarans very often. Right, yeah, it's uh, a little more unusual. Um, though it's built, I should say, in terms of the inside comfort, it's built like a, tr uh, like a catamaran where it essentially has a large bridge deck for the living space. So it's, it's not like what most people think of a trimaran where, you know, like your Dragonfly or Corsair where it's a very skinny narrow boat with trampolines on either sides this is a little bit different a little more um luxurious living it's more like a catamaran in the living sense that's right but you still get some of the performance benefits and the motion benefits of a of a trimaran so how did you guys start sailing let's go down that path Uh, we were actually inspired by uh, YouTubers, really, and we had, we were living in Florida, and we were really into diving at the time, scuba diving, and we wanted to get out there and explore more and dive more, and we started seeing people diving from their sailboat and traveling the world, and that really like got us uh, really into wanting to do the same. So we kind of took it on ourselves to learn by ourselves and figure it all out <laughs> and we started we bought a, a monohola a mel sharky uh, 39 feet and we just started sailing okay so oh just a second i just messed with my audio here there we go okay i was trying to adjust it while you were talking so so you started buying us you bought by a different boat and then you eventually moved up to this boat then right Yes, that's correct. So tell me what sailing you did on the smaller boat then. Yeah, so we, we started in Florida. That's, that's where both man and I met. and We lived in Orlando in kind of the Space Coast area. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, wanted a little bit more adventure in our lives. And, and the sea was calling, as they say. So pretty <laughs> typical story where we you know, sold everything. And uh, we had a house and cars and, and sold that, bought the boat. Uh, eventually quit our our day jobs and just kind of had a um, you know a few years to go sailing and, and see what we thought of that kind of lifestyle but right when we set off uh, COVID hit this, this was like uh, early 2020 we made it as far down as uh, we kind of sailed Bahamas and made it as far down as Puerto Rico before everything really shut down we were trying to get to the South Pacific, but the Panama Canal was closed for, for pleasure boats to go through. So, you know, we're sitting here in Puerto Rico and COVID is happening. All the countries are shutting down. We're looking, you know, who will who will take us and who won't. You know, we, we were ready for an adventure and we didn't want to just go back to the States. So, um, so yeah, we, we decided to go to Europe instead. Uh, and in doing so, we kind of traveled the traditional Viking route uh, across to, to Europe, uh, which included a long stop and a great summer in Greenland. Yeah, I was actually, I think I was looking at your passage, and I'm trying to pull it up while we're talking. Um, oh, here's the boat stats. 
um, sails, cabins, heads, galley. So it looks like you have quite a bit of living area on the boat, but you're not, like in a regular catamaran, the outer pontoons are where the cabins are. And in yours, it's interesting. It's going from the center of the boat to the outer pontoon is where the cabins are. So you got two, it looks like two cabins there and one in the forepeak, which I think would be pretty uncomfortable under sail. <laughs> like most uh, monoholds and traditional <laughs> boats are, it's pretty uncomfortable up there. But that's uh, where, that's where we would sleep on a crude charter. Oh, okay. Um, you take the then, most uncomfortable yeah, our, berth then, huh? Yeah, the most uncomfortable because <laughs> we can take it. We've experienced uncomfortable conditions. So we'd rather rent out the nicer cabins for everyone else, of course. Okay, so on your website, I'm looking for your passage so we can go through some of that. How did you guys afford it? What did you? Let me talk to you about what you did in your real life before you became professional sailors, and uh, and how did how did you put together the money? Because that's what a lot of people are struggling with: is how do we afford to go sailing? How do we buy a boat? Tell us how you did it. Yeah, that that is an important question, um, and what it. it I wouldn't say it was easy for us. Like it's not easy for anyone. We didn't we didn't come from say a background where we had a lot of investments or or, or money or what have you. Um, we just had two reasonably decent jobs, uh, both you know kind of desk jobs, nine to five sort of thing. Um, but I think the important thing was as soon as we understood that we wanted to do this 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 goal, once we had this goal, we sat down and set a very strict budget. And from then on, anything we bought was either just to live or it went towards this new endeavor. And with that goal and with such passion behind that goal, I think we found it pretty easy to save and make make those kind of decisions. And what would you say, Amanda? Yeah, definitely. And with that, we sold a lot, all of our stuff. We sold our house. So most of our money that we had invested in the house would go to the purchase of our boat. So we were just, we knew it wasn't going to last forever. It's not like we were retiring. Uh, we just wanted this adventure and we knew we had a set amount that we could go forth on and we would make everything work along the way or see what we were really passionate about for a job in the future. Yeah. I mean, like if we just talk about rough numbers, we, we bought the boat uh, for roughly 70,000 US. And we put maybe another 10 or 15 into it to kind of get it ready to go. Um, and then our two years living aboard that Amel and and sailing yeah, to Greenland, Scotland, uh, down into the Med, or eventually Solder, uh, I think we averaged about 1500 a month was our, our budget for two people. So that included food, uh, you know, fixing the boat, satellite communication when we're doing crossings, like just kind of everything. Um, and of course, leisure activities, eating out and, and fun things. But uh, yeah, I, I think we did it pretty frugally. And and it's definitely not out of the realm of most people to, to kind of sell what they have and, and buy an inexpensive boat. And, I, you know, it's, it's all relative to the comfort level that you want, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you this was your initial boat then. And what what was the I, I Tell us exactly how big that boat was. Yeah, I know you the, told me yeah, earlier. I know was, you told me earlier, but it escapes me right now. So I'm going to ask that again because I was. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, audio level, yeah so. the the boat we started our, our journey on uh, was an Amel. Okay. So it's a, it's a French boat. Well, built that's in a, La that's Rochelle. a that's a nice big. I mean, Amels are great boats. So I mean, that's a well put together boat. So you, and. To get one for seventy thousand, I would think was a pretty good bargain then. Yeah, yeah. Th this was the smallest boat that Amel made, and kind of what I'll call their their modern uh, era. So this was a nineteen eighty. So right at the beginning, um, this was before they made their very popular Super Marimu, which which we were we are a big fans of sailing Delos. So when when we stepped on this boat, it's like a mini Super Marimu inside. Yeah, it has all the same like quirks and fixtures and little quirks to it uh but we fell in love with it and it felt really comfortable absolutely yeah so it's it's 39 feet or really 40 feet overall still catch rig center cockpit it's it's essentially a super marimu just kind of condensed down and 
and um, yeah, that was it was perfect for us. Very solidly built boat, easy for two of us to sail and, and live on. Okay, so I'm looking at your route, and it looks like to me you started in the uh, Chesapeake Bay. Is that where you bought the boat? No, we we actually started. Uh, th- that's where we are now. Oh, um, that's we where you ended up. Okay, so Florida. All right, so I got to zoom down to Florida and see where you started down here. There's a lot of tracks here in Florida. So yeah, if, if, if for those who are looking at our track, we recently yeah kind of crossed back on our starting track, so it's maybe hard our, to see. Yeah, but... like our circumnav of our route, so yeah. the North Atlantic Loop is what we did. Right, but we we started from Titusville in Florida. It's right on the ICW in the Space Coast, and then sailed uh, to the Bahamas, and then down to Puerto Rico, and then from Puerto Rico we we jotted up north. To Maine via Bermuda, and then from Maine to Nova uh, to Newfoundland, Newfoundland and Greenland, and so on. Okay, so you had some pretty good uh, up up. Well, is is that upwind going from Florida up to uh, up? So it looks like you went offshore to get up to where does it look like here? Uh, up around New York, is that where you ended up going to? No, it's no. When we initially set off, we skipped the whole East Coast, so. The sail from Puerto Rico to Maine via Bermuda is ah yeah, okay that's completely, the one. completely offshore. Okay, yeah. So you went to Bermuda and then from Bermuda up to Canada, then, huh? Uh, to Maine. Oh, that's yeah, where Maine. we okay. We explored Maine for uh, a month or two in in 2020 and and fell in love with it. So we just recently got back from there because uh, uh, that's just a phenomenal summer cruising ground. Um, yeah, then from Maine, we had sailed out of Mel uh, up to Novus, up to Newfoundland, mm-hmm. St. John's. Okay. And then St. John's up to Greenland. Looks like your passages are fairly long offshore, or is that just showing up on this? Or are you doing any day hopping along the way, or is this, these are just long passages? Yeah, we, we just like long passages. We like passages. <laughs> okay. And- <laughs> the more, the, like, the more we did them, the more comfortable we felt. And then it kind of became more about the passion of sailing instead of traveling. Um, hence why we're now became a business, because we want to show people what it's like. Yeah, we really like that, that, that feeling of sailing offshore, losing sight of land, just getting into the, the daily rhythms of, of yeah, of, of boat life, of, of watch keeping and eating and sleeping. It's, it's a, it's a big accomplishment, especially like you can't travel like on a plane. You just sat there. <laughs> it's not really like an accomplishment. You feel it when you actually feel every single mile. Yeah, we enjoy that. You feel like you, you really earn it. So. Uh, so, yeah, initially we and because of uh, again, we're sailing during covid time. So we had to do big passages sometimes. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was something where we really enjoy doing. So let's talk about the COVID situation. So you looked around and said, okay, where can we travel without getting a lot of restrictions? And is this what you came up with then? Yeah, like I said, we were down in Puerto Rico. We we really wanted, we weren't equipped to sail in northern climates. We we actually had uninstalled a a diesel air heater. We didn't own any Fowleys. Uh, (laughs) We... We were also we had a dive compressor and scuba gear. We, we we're ready for suits, yeah, we we're ready for the South Pacific. <laughs> but we we even didn't have a water heater at the time either. Right. So no, <laughs> no hot water. So so when we decided when we we're in Puerto Rico and we decided to to do this European route, um, we had a friend fly in and and bring a diesel air heater and some fallies. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then from there. Um, sailing up into to Maine and, and Canada, that's when we got in the cold, foggy stuff and really appreciated those the, those heaters. <laughs> yeah, I've gone on boats, and it can be pretty damn cold on a boat. I On my boat, when I was sailing up in the northwest, I had a uh, hot water heater that came off the engine. Or just a, Basically, it's like a car heater where I ran, a, ran the hot water up through a coil and then a fan blowing the coil out. But that only worked when the engine was running didn't do any good when we were just sailing so uh, right. so but i took a commercial fishing boat up to alaska one time and he had a diesel oh, wow. heater on his 
and it was smoking all the time. So we actually had to turn it off because we had he had a problem with it because it was it was smoking. It would just when we were underway, the smoke would come back into the cockpit and became uh, very noxious. So we had to basically go cold all the way up to Alaska in that uh, in that boat. That was oh, a commercial no. fishing boat. But I think he's fixed it since then. That was a long, long time ago. So, so you went up to. I mean, you don't see a lot of people going to Greenland. Do you see? Did you see very many yeah. other cruisers up there? Uh, at the time, no, because it was still uh, it's during COVID, so not very many cruisers were up there. We did meet a few boats. Um, we actually, our intention was to go to Iceland originally, and then a uh, boat when we landed in Newfoundland and St. John's, the, there was a family that was finishing their circumnavigation after three years and they were going to go to Greenland and Iceland closed for Americans. So we thought, why not go to Greenland? <laughs> we did all the research. They helped us with cruising guides and charts because uh, a lot of it's uncharted up there. And, you know, we we're so excited about the opportunity to go there because it is true. Not many people go and it's so worth it. Cold water though, right? Very cold water. Yeah. Cold, but beautiful. I mean, ice is that scary, but beautiful thing. You know, once you see it, you get, and you get familiar with it, you have an appreciation and uh, respect for the ice that you didn't have before. And now we're, we would be love to go back. I mean, it was just gorgeous and remote, and you could go up these fjords and not see people for days, <laughs> and just these huge mountains that, I mean, anywhere else would be like climbing with people, like a national park, but it's just, there aren't that many people there, so it feels like the true adventure. Yeah, I'm looking at your track going up these different fjords, and the problem with most fjords is it's so, so deep, it's hard to find anchorage spots. Tell us about the anchoring in the fjords. Yeah, that is true. Um, there are, yeah, like any place you explore, you can find little cutouts and, and little bays and tributaries, maybe where water comes in, and then it, it uh, dumps a bunch of sediment and eventually gets to something of a shallow area. Um I think the harder part, though, that we had was just the bottom. Um, the substrate. Yeah, the substrate was very rocky with mm -hmm. a lot of kelp. So mm. it's like not great <laughs> holding not conditions. Holding. Yeah. So so most most of the time you just kind of drag your anchor until you accumulate enough kelp to like kind of hold you there. But, but massive kelp. <laughs> but you know that, yeah, you can't stay there for any decent wind. Um, there so were a few that had mud like at the end of uh, rivers that we found were great holding. But other than that, yeah, we were always like kind of, as I said before, like a lot of it is not charted very well. So you kind of have to go in and like, you know, use your depth finder and figure out where you can go. And then even on the chart, it might say one depth, but you're like, obviously that depending on like the conditions of how the, the landscape looks, you can tell that you can anchor there. So you kind of dip in and then see where you can go. Yeah. I think, you know, a trick a lot of people use is just by looking at the elevation contours on land yeah, and extrapolating that under the water surface is gives you a pretty good approximation of what you'll find really. Hmm. Looks like you, there's a little village that you stopped in along the way. Is that where you were able to reprovision? Yeah, we, we landed at this, uh, a, a small town uh, right on the Southern coast called Nanortalik. And it's like about a thousand people that live there. And right there's one good store, uh, and yeah, the supplies were, were not an issue. Uh, diesel also can be had at, at any of these villages because most of these small villages run off of uh, diesel generators. So, and so, water was there's a ton of water, right? Yeah, and it's plenty of fresh water <laughs> to go around. So, so yeah, your basic supplies are taken care of. Um, and not many people know, but Greenland is an old colony of Denmark and mm -hmm. they still have some a lot of trading ties. So, in fact, the currency is the Danish kroner, and the grocery stores are all Danish-branded uh, stores. So it, it's a lot like just shopping in Europe. Yeah, and we had provisioned really well before we left Maine. So we weren't, you know, we just needed some fresh food, really. 
So I'm looking at uh, Google Earth while we're talking and clicking on the, uh, the the images that they have on Google Earth, and I see snow everywhere. Was it still a lot of snow on the ground when you went up there? No, not that far south. Okay. Um, it's, it's the summer is it's really short there, but um, the the south part of Greenland is very much just cold and not snowy, but it still has ice in the water. Yeah, the, the water is as you said cold. It's just above freezing. Um, and then the air temperature range from 10 C to 12 C, something like that. I mean, maybe 15 on a good day. So what that's like 50 to 60 degrees. Um, but yeah, at night it would mostly hang around 40 or 45. And the snow level was a bit higher, probably a few thousand feet. Yeah, it was on the top. It was snowy mountaintops, but right, never reached us. Yep. Okay, so these pictures must have been taken when it was a little uh, later in the year. So, okay. Yeah, Google Earth was, I mean, we would use Google Earth and Bing, uh, different satellites uh, to get the proper um, image so we could figure out where we could go because a lot of those are taken at different times, as you see. <laughs> and you're like, wait, that's full of ice. But yeah, it I looks cold. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a little side note, a, a pro tip for anyone Wanting thinking to go of going to Greenland. Uh, download there's there's apps and programs to download satellite images and the, and the various layers and then the various companies that supply those images you know yeah, microsoft bing has one image set google has another and then i think apple has a third hmm. and you can download all those all three of those and depending where you're at one yeah picture might be better than another because uh, like you said sometimes you look at a picture and and half of it yeah. is in the summer and then the other half is is spliced in because it's a wintertime shot, which isn't helpful. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is a challenging navigation experiment um, when you don't have yeah good guides or charts for sure. Yeah, I'm looking at the Google Earth images. I'm zooming in and out with this, and I can see a couple photographs were taken, and you can see a, a clear demarcation line of a lot of ice in the water, and then very little ice in the water in in Google Google Earth. Right, yeah, different, different seasons mm -hmm. from different, when those shots different taken. photographs that are stitched together. So, yeah, interesting. So, what did you do for your weather forecasting? How did you deal with that? Uh, we use we have our Iridium Go satellite, um, and we have Predict Wind. So we would just download weather through that and get our grid that way. Okay, I got to ask you a question because I'm right in the process of. Uh, looking at getting an Iridium Go and predict when. What's the story on the SIM cards? Some people say buy a lot of SIM cards because it's cheaper to buy the SIM cards from uh, Predict Wind. And, but I thought with one SIM card, you can sign up for a subscription. I guess if you want to turn on and off your subscription, you'd need a SIM card for every time you turn it on and off. Is that, is that correct? Do you correct. know? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. So Yeah, it, buy, it, buy a package of them. Yeah, they, they sell packs, three packs, five packs, something like that. But uh, right, if, if you're only planning just to use it for a crossing and then you're going to be within cell phone range or just coastal sailing, yeah, it's not worth uh, even the $60 a month on the low mode. Um, it is worth it just to buy the, the SIMs because I think they're like $15 to each or something or to activate. I forget the exact price, but yeah, much oh, cheaper okay. doing it that way. Okay. going to do it for so the SIM cards are good for a certain period of time and a certain amount of data. Is that what that is then? No, I mean, they're good forever uh, as long as you keep the service activated. It's it's only when you suspend the service. You can't it, – it's very expensive to bring that card back online. Ah, okay. And that's not through Predict Wind. It's through Iridium service. So that's why Predict Wind says, hey, just buy a bunch of SIM cards, and when you need to start up the service again, you just plug in a new one and activate it. Okay, but then you still need to get the uh, subscription from from uh, Iridium. Is that correct, or is that not correct? That's uh, well, Predict Wind handles it all. If if you just go through Predict Wind, you can buy the unit and the the monthly subscription all through them. They act like uh, a, a dealer, so and and they make it really easy. Uh, yeah, you don't want to go to Iridium directly. That's uh, okay. A so you'd buy the SIM card, activate the SIM card, and also buy a monthly subscription for however long you need to use the monthly subscription. Is, is that is that correct? Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, just like your cell phone would be. Okay, okay. 
Yeah, because I, I, I kept thinking, well, why would I want more than one SIM card? But you just explained it to me. If you want to turn it off, and I would, you know, I wouldn't want the subscription. I, I guess you have to turn it off when, when you want to cancel the subscription is when you would be turning it off. So that's right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely. I advocate what predicts when services. We definitely like that. We're not huge fans of the Iridium Go. It, we call it the Iridium No. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, it's just the it's the best service out there right now. And and for, you know, for what you get for the for the weather information you can get for the monthly price, it is decent. However, it is like stepping back in time technology-wise. It's it's not a fast connection. The interface is very clunky. Um, so yeah, it's it's a mixed bag. We're, we're really looking forward to uh, when Starlink, Starlink <laughs> comes online, uh, as most sailors are actually finding out. We're, we're seeing a lot more a Starlink lot. Uh, uh, antennas on boats these days. Yeah, so. there's been some really great reviews. Uh, our friends on Sailing Sonder have it, and they've been connected the entire like an entire passage throughout the med and streaming netflix huh so and, and that's for the same price as iridium right okay. so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that tells you something there so have you looked into starlink at all uh, yeah not for us just because our program right now we're mostly coastal sailing we only do limited offshore uh, trips of which case yeah we'll just we'll just put on our iridium go again right um but if if we were setting out cruising the world again oh i'd absolutely look at starlink yeah okay because i'm going to be bringing my boat back across the atlantic and that's why i'm asking you these questions in january and february and uh i was debating on you know what to do and i think it's going to be the same program you're using which is uh predict wind with iridium go and, uh, yeah, it's a solid setup. I think so. Yeah, that's that's the no-brainer solution. It's all the kinks have been worked out. You know, it, it is a service that just works. So, yeah, yeah but I it takes forever to download. I guess it takes like forty-five minutes to download the grib files on, on a. When you need well, that depends a, on how big of a grib file you're uh, downloading, because you can get all your weather routing and grib files in um, less than five minutes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, well, yeah, just on the stats, your connection speed is about one kilobyte a second. Okay. So so you can do the math there, and that's the best connection. So if, if, you, if you don't install that uh, with Iridium, you can install the external antenna. Which is good. Yeah, we did that on the last boat. That works very well because it always has a clear line of sight. However, on this new boat and our latest Atlanta crossing, we didn't, and we could rarely get a good download when the unit was inside the boat. So occasionally we have to just go stick it on a coach route for 30 minutes while it got a good signal of uh, eye sight to, to the sky. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, again, another compromise. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I don't want to have to mount a, an antenna permanently because I don't plan on using it forever. So I would want to basically put the antenna up when I want to download something or, or upload something. And is it easy to do that, or do you did you mount your antenna permanently and just run the wiring down below? On the first boat, we mounted the antenna permanently. We had a solar arch, so we mounted up there. It, it is a cumbersome antenna to mount because of the, the cable. It's a coax cable, but it's very it's very thick. It's like almost half inch, uh, so, so oh. it's quite quite the large holes in, in conduit routing you need to, to do. That's a good option if, let's say, yeah, you are going to be crossing multiple oceans in the same season and just running the Radium service all the time. Um, yeah, I think that's the way to go. But if you're just doing one crossing, like like what you're doing in this for the the, the southern part of the Atlantic, yeah, I think just having the head unit is fine and a Ziploc bag, and you stick it outside when you need. I mean, really, as you know, with that crossing uh, that you're looking to do next year you don't even need decent weather routing once you leave the canaries you're in the trades and it just is what it is it's just gonna <laughs> it's not, run down you're not going to be you're it, not going to huh? have any surprises <laughs> yeah okay so the north atlantic is notorious for terrible storms did you have any and tell us about them 
Yeah, it, that that is tricky for sure. Uh, even in the summertime, you do get a lot of big lows that come through. Um, but they're a lot more spaced out. They were so. spaced out, and and they're not. Most of them weren't incredibly intense. No. Um, when we did do our crossing from, uh, well, let's see. I mean, how was our crossing, man? And when we went from from see. New Finland to Greenland was really easy. We had the spinnaker up for half the time, oh. and then. The, from Greenland to Scotland was when we got into some pretty heavy weather. That's the biggest seas, well, one of the biggest seas we've seen. And we actually broke um, the connection to our forest day, so like halfway in our passage. Yeah, that, that was challenging, right? So, I mean, but I'd say the storms weren't severely bad. We had, what, I mean, 40 knots sustained, something like that, and maybe three to four meter seas. It was like but... four meters because we got out of Greenland and it was like, whoa, this is a big seasick. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think yeah. it was the first time we were both seasick and that doesn't usually happen. It's usually just like I get a little squishy and Darren's fine. But this time we were both like, oh my God. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. And we had icebergs to navigate and uh, whatnot. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's extra, but it's nothing that uh, a, a normal cruising boat can't take. Right. So. All right. So De now is Greenland still part of Denmark or is it its own country? It's they're their own country. They did have a yeah, a separation some time ago. Okay. Um, but they still rely heavily on trade and certain services like the police force and their their kind of armed Yeah, their military service. Just like right, um, is all is all contracted from yeah and Denmark. they partner with like canada and um america too to like they have some military um that go throughout the fjords but they don't have their own military force or yeah right and and the the danish culture is pretty well interwoven with the local like greenlandic culture so for instance language is spoken um everyone speaks danish and then English is, is kind of third, and then second, I'd say, is is the local flavor of the Greenlandic uh, language. So, yeah, so it's pretty cool. Most people are trilingual. Hmm. I'm looking at, and I'm switching back and forth between Google Earth and, and your passage. And so, oh, wow, it looks like you could catch a fjord all the way across the uh, southern tip. Then, yeah, you went right, basically, a long fjord going from... Uh, from west to east when you left it, it looks like. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's the infamous, um, it's called Cringe Christiansund, and it's a very long fjord known for its uh, glaciers that meet the water. Um, a, lot of a lot of sailors and uh, cruisers end up going through there. Um, very, very popular and beautiful. Because there's, I think there's three or four glaciers that you find through there and three of them meet the water and, and feed the fjord with ice so yeah on occasion you have uh, bits of ice to, to navigate around in that fjord but it is one of the more spectacular and also uh, europeans or people leaving from um, iceland uh, a lot of the time when you're making that passage from over on the east side you go through there to get to the, the west side um, Farther north, a lot of people want to go, but a lot of the times it's um, too much ice. We've had we've talked to a few cruisers recently that tried to go north this year, and it was too too much too packed. Yeah, like on, on the northern, when we say north, it's really like the east coast that's kind of parallel to Iceland. That is a notoriously difficult coast to get to, uh, even in the summertime. <clears throat> but the advantage of the southern coast is great because. Uh, through those three summer months, uh, the ice is very doable for any ocean-going boat. You don't need anything special. Hmm. Did you see a said? Did you see a lot of other cruisers? I think I asked you that already, and you said no because it was COVID. What were the COVID restrictions uh, when you got to to Greenland? Then, yeah, Greenland uh, didn't have any restriction other than you had to have been quarantined for two weeks prior to arrival. Ah, so, okay. So at that point, we had been quarantined for three plus weeks because we also sat at the dock. And, 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 uh, I think it was like four weeks. Yeah, because yeah, we, we, we had a week passage from Maine, 
to Canada, and then we sat on the dock in Canada, quarantined. Yeah, couldn't leave the boat for another week, and then it was about another week passage to Greenland. So yeah, we we had some time. So when we checked in, uh, also interesting, Greenland check in is completely optional. Um, <laughs> it, it, they do have a system called GreenPost, which you update or you send your a text message um, to let them know once you hit like enter their waters. Uh, 200 miles off of Greenland, and you kind of keep updated every. Remember 12 hours. 12. Okay, yeah. it was 12 hours. I thought it was, it was quicker than that. But um, then after you get there, you don't need to really check in. You can if you want. It was optional, so we actually did go to the local police station just to be like, hey, like, do we need to do anything? Because you know that's a normal thing in every country we've gone to, and we're like, okay. Uh, can we get a stamp? And so you always want a Greenland stamp in your passport. So did they give it to you? Yeah, he was super friendly. He's like, yeah, of course I'll do that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah. were very friendly, quite excited, I think, just to get some visitors. And, and we had a yeah. good good chat with the police force there. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great, great community. So from Puerto Rico to Canada, when you entered Canada, um, did you have to, well, actually from Maine to Canada, I guess I should say, when you entered Canada, what did you have to go through for COVID at that point in time? That was uh, a little bit tougher. So Canada had no, uh, or in other words, they had a blockade. So, so you couldn't technically stop there. Um, however, we were just transiting through because we were, yeah, we had to wait there for, for a weather window to Greenland. Mm -hmm. So they did allow us to just stay at this this dock. It was like a commercial dock in a big harbor. And and yeah, we could not leave the boat. So we had to just, yeah, stay on the boat. And, um, and th that had its own challenges. Uh, but I would have to say the, the Newfoundland people were just super <laughs> they're uh, very, kind they're very and helpful. Nice. And they would go out of their way. Everyone, we were on this commercial dock, and it was right by this um, uh, restaurant area, very high profile in that section for us, and very touristy. And they, uh, people would walk by, and they'd be like, oh, is there anything you need? What can I do to help you? And someone went to Best Buy for us and got us, because we actually were vlogging at the time, so we ran out of... Um, a battery had gone dead on our GoPro, so we needed another battery. Then someone went out of their way to go get us water because we couldn't leave our boat. So we need, but we needed water, and there was no way for us to get it. Uh, so someone took our our cans and went and got the freshest water in the area for us, like I think thirty minutes away or something. And then another, uh, yeah, there was a local bakery that came by with treats and coffees, and it was it just felt welcoming even though the officials weren't very friendly <laughs> so the people were great but the government officials were not so great then, huh? correct uh they were yeah i mean they're just doing their job we understand it was a really chaotic time but uh we just wanted the basic necessities and it's uh it's nice to see humanity in that time okay so right yeah and it's it, you know it was it was one of our more stressful times uh when we we're sailing through covid because we were offshore and we were planning to, to make way into St. St. John's there and there was an approaching storm. Um, but upon entering the harbor, the, when you're actually on the outside of the harbor, you have to call the harbor master because it's kind of a narrow cut and they, they dictate traffic and uh, call the harbor master and said, you know, this is who we are. We, we need to stop oh. because we're, yeah, provision and fuel because we're going to Greenland. And, uh, and they just said no couldn't enter and we we had just been at sea for a week it was the last harrowing like couple days we we're both very tired and now here we are just hacking back and forth outside of this harbor like trying to get signals so we can email them or talk to someone because we saw on like before we left we did our research saying that and canada's government website said that you know if you're a transiting boat you could stop there for you know, safe harbor rules were still in effect. I, that's what we had assumed. And then they said no. So we were quite taken. How did you resolve it then? <laughs> I emailed them their website uh, and we talked to like other officials and they must have talked to each other, realized that that was in their 
in their laws and we were just we were fine yeah well, it, again like amanda said it was really just a miscommunication of of all the various policies are being put in place but in the end it was all resolved we we were allowed to to come in and and, and dock and and get the essentials that we needed and, and wait for weather window to leave but just that whole process was um a bit uh not scary for us it was just highly stressful to be out at sea knowing that they might not let you in and that you might have to endure those really strong North Atlantic lows, <laughs> like you mentioned, that come through. So, uh, so yeah, it was a challenge. Yeah, I'm looking at St. John's Harbor, and it looks like it's pretty much just a commercial dock, uh, or a commercial yeah. harbor. Where did you tie up then? You tie up right along next to these giant uh, fishing vessels or, you know, they have... Um, I think Coast Guard vessels that tie up there. There's huge tire, tractor tires that are uh, that are not friendly to boats uh, or to our size boats. But um, yeah, it's the, it's the wharf that everyone goes into that you know you can tie your boat while you're waiting for a window. It's very protected in there at least. Yeah, and the tides. What were the tides like? I mean, we had already been used to the tides in Maine. I think they're like three meters, okay. four meters. So you yeah, and I think St. John's was, I can't remember if it was less or more. It wasn't out. It, it wasn't, wasn't like crazy. the Bay of Fundy, right? Yeah, and, and Greenland was even less than that. Okay, so you'd have long spring lines uh, that uh, were fairly loose and letting the, let it, would, would you, or would you tender your lines all the time? I think we just had long spring lines, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't anything I remember having to deal with, so. Okay, okay. <laughs> Nothing too bad. All right. Well, on the let's go. We're moving along here. We've already gone a half an hour, or forty-one minutes. It looks like. So let's move on to uh, to Scotland. You don't. I I've actually got one of my crew members that uh, is going to be sailing on the Atlantic Passage from. He has his boat up in Scotland, and that's notorious for strong winds as well, isn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. It's it. Those North Atlantic lows we talk about, they tend to meet and make landfall. Uh, on Scotland. <laughs> yes, it's somewhere in the, in the United Kingdom. And, yeah, most of the time, I think in the summer, they go a little high and they do tend to run into Scotland there. So, um, But besides that, we'd have to say Scotland was one of our favorite cruising grounds next to Greenland. Um, Scotland, you get a lot of that same, you know, big fjords, uh, granite, rocks and, and mountain features but everything was softer like green and the, not as jagged and new land like the new mountains of greenland so everything was really just beautiful landscape in, in scotland we just fell in love with it yeah and you get the culture of scotland and of course the good food and the people are just fantastic uh and not to mention how about the distilleries yeah <laughs> <laughs> you have some amazing scotch and the cool thing about uh, cruising scotland with the distilleries is most of them are, are right on the water and that's been like that for hundreds of years because of shipping um and so now with modern times a lot of the distilleries just put out mooring balls that are for free so you can sail right up to a visitor mooring connect up dinghy on over to the dock go tour the distillery get a bottle and then be on your way. Uh, it's it's a, a neat little feature for cruising. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Sounds like a fun place to visit. Yeah. So it is. Yeah, we, we highly recommend it. Uh, the tides and the currents, yeah, definitely a challenge. And the storms. But there's it, so many places to, to get shelter and protection. Um, so, I mean, you would be like in a place where you're like, okay, we can only be here for a couple of days and we need to go in like farther inland and you can escape it. And then you have a few days where you have to just wait out, you know, 40 knots of wind, but you know, it's, that's cruising sometimes. Okay. What were the COVID restrictions when you arrived there? So the UK was, uh, because we were coming from Greenland and Greenland didn't have any cases, um, there we were free to roam okay. about the cabin and <laughs> there actually when you check into the uk you call into a, a hotline on the phone and they just ask you all your information and that's kind of how you check in it's very informal um and because we're american we had 
six months there um, that we can Yeah, look, just a cool side note about that. The United Kingdom has a good, um, not reciprocity, but because I, I know us in the United States, we don't even uh, do that. We don't reciprocate that. Reciprocate, but it's six months and it's not even a visa. Uh, it's just you're allowed six months in the United Kingdom essentially no questions asked after six months then you'd have to apply for a visa but um, very easy for us americans to go cruising there right okay. so we uh we stayed there for a very like for our six months in the uk and traveled um to northern ireland and and england as well uh, but our time in scotland we really loved but it was also short-lived because of the season of course we wanted to get a little bit more south um but yeah, it was really easy. We didn't have any quarantine. Um, the time at the time, none of the pubs were open. Uh, it was still heavily restriction on land, like for people to. You couldn't really do much. Um, so a lot of walking and exploring. Hmm. What uh, you keep talking about making a phone call, and, and whenever I've gone traveling, I've ignored my U.S. phone and just bought a SIM card when I've gone there. What? What phone system did you use or are you using when you traveled then? Uh, that is usually what we we do or did. Uh, we had Google Fi at the time, which um, uh, like you can only activate Google Fi in America as an American citizen or if you live in America with a postal in America. But we had Google Fi, which works abroad for a decent amount of time. I think it was like three months or six months. Um, so we had cell phone service when we made our way over there. Um, but usually we do just get a SIM card locally and that's cheaper. And sometimes uh, you look at the SIM card and see if it, it could work for the next country you visit. Like maybe, especially in Europe, most of the local SIM cards work throughout different uh, countries in the EU. Yeah, I've noticed Vodafone is easier to travel with than any of the other ones that, that, I've, that I've used. Most of the other ones are, seem to be very local to the country that, that are the cheaper ones. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the cheaper ones are always like, only in like Montenegro is this going to work for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you just can't beat those deals because, uh, you know, in, in France, for instance, we used free mobile and that was, yeah, 20 euros for unlimited data or nearly i don't know it's like 100 100 gigabytes the or best something one we had was in the uk when we were in england we got well i don't remember yeah what the, the service called voxy yeah that were great it was unlimited and you could stream everything and they're like wow i wish we had this for a weekend <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so for those looking yeah cruising europe i yeah highly recommend just getting the local sim of the area or like you said if you pay a little bit more you can get a vodafone and the, the, the trick here is all the sims work throughout europe it's it's been a decreed law or some sort however data doesn't necessarily have to work right it wasn't included in that text and and, and voice work but you know as cruisers we, we only care about the data portion and uh so yeah eventually we just went to a new sim card for each country so back to google fi don't you have to have internet access to use google fi though What do you mean, like to activate or? Well, you said you would use when you'd call in when you would. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you arrive in, in uh, Scotland and you need to check in and you made a call or you called them up. Yeah, it, it has a, a, a landline or not a landline. It has a cell phone number. Like we ported our numbers into Google Fi's service. Yeah, so the Google Fi is just a, a normal cell phone service. Oh, okay. So it's picking up the local. Traveled. So it's picking up the local networks. Then I'm not familiar with it. So you're educating me here. Yeah, it is. It's picking. I think they have preferences on which um, uh, local ones they pick. But yes, they they just piggyback off of other services. Okay, yeah. I'll have to look into that. I'm not. I'm not familiar with it. So so you're saying you'd have you'd have a SIM card with Google Fi on it, and then uh, you'd be able to tap into the local phone call, phone network uh, for a certain price. And then uh, when you get there, then you could switch out that SIM card for just a local SIM card or have two, two phones if you needed to. Right. Yeah. And it's nothing you have to do. It, it just all happens automatically. Yeah. Uh, and depending on your, your uh, package or just your think plan. of it like roaming. Um, hmm. But we don't recommend Google Fi now. Uh, okay. it, it doesn't work very long once you're outside of the U.S. They've kind of 
tightened up those those restrictions. So it works for traveling. Like if you're going back and forth from the U.S. often, I would say it's fine. But if you're not, like we were planning on using it forever, and then we found out that they do cut your service off if you don't go back to the U.S. Oh. Yeah, it's fine for, for normal traveling, like by airplane. So like, <laughs> not, not even though we don't recommend it for uh, world cruising, we are back on Google Fi again because <laughs> it is really nice. <laughs> so what would you recommend? I mean, how would you solve that without Google Fi then? Because that's the problem. I mean, I go over and I don't want to pay the ridiculous rates that uh, my cell carrier wants for me to make a phone call. And... Uh, and uh, and it sounds like Google Fi is the alternative. What would uh, what would you recommend? Well, I, it was only the UK where you can do this check-in via cell phone. Okay. Um, we didn't experience that anywhere else. Well, technically, the US you check in uh, like through the internet. Okay. <laughs> so there's that too. You do it through an app, and a lot of other countries are going to that too. So you Actually, always have to have data. I mean, that's the problem. You always have to have access to internet data to be able to do that. So I know they're making so many assumptions with that, right? Yeah, they are. I mean, tremendous assumptions. If you want to be simple and not have a cell phone or not have satellite phone, well, what, what do you do at that point in time? Yeah, I guess you, we could have used our, our satellite phone. And in a nutshell, yes, we could have used our satellite phone even um, if we needed to. Because we had, at the time, unlimited um, minutes. But mm -hmm. they have packages where you have you know, a set amount of minutes that we usually would reserve um, for emergencies. But if we couldn't, didn't have access on our cell phone, we could use the satellite phone to call in as well. Okay. Yeah, but to answer your question not having satellite or cell phone you just do it the old-fashioned way you just go into the port and you 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 work through the harbor master the okay. harbor master helps yeah. you out with the whole you process use your vhf or if you don't have a vhf yeah you just show up i guess very old school. <laughs> yeah that's really old school yeah okay all right let's talk about your travels through uh through through great britain and then uh oh man we're going on too long we've already gone 51 minutes so, and we we're just barely getting over to Europe right now. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of good sailing. But, uh, yeah, maybe pick a place that, that you are most, most interested in. Well, no, you, you pick a place that you have the best memories about. And let's talk about that. Or we could talk about the Med. I mean, the sailing podcast is about no, the Med and beyond. And beyond, exactly, and beyond. So, no, just from your, from your adventures, and I see you went all the way up the Croatian coast and then... Looks to me like you cut straight across Italy to get to the other side. I want to know how you did that <laughs> on your track. Yeah, well, I, yeah, let's, let's kind of okay, we'll, we'll yeah. go to the med. Basically, uh, we did a dive bomb. We spent a winter, highly don't recommend, in the south of, the, of England, which is wet and cold, and it's just not great for boats. Um, but... We couldn't wait to get into uh, warmer climates, back into the water, because as I said, we started this journey of sailing because we wanted to be in the water. So we were doing none of that anymore. And we were like, oh, we should just straight beeline it to the Met as fast as we can. And we like ocean passages. So uh, we kind of just did a very big pops in to get through Gibraltar and uh, went right to the Balearics, actually, because we thought, okay, this is as close as we can get to, like, Caribbean waters at that point. <laughs> yeah, so you you sailed, so how long did you sail in the Med? Was it a, more than a year, or was that the summer? What was the, what was the plan there? Yeah, it was, it was a bit less. It was really just one summer. Mm. Uh, so we, yeah, arrived in the Balearics in the beginning of the summer. We spent a good month, month and a half, exploring those you know four major islands you know formentera mm -hmm. abiza uh, Majorca, and menorca we used all our shingen days in there we did yeah we, we checked wow. out of of menorca with uh, one day to spare so <laughs> so it used up every bit and i won't spend a lot of time talking about the balearics is i mean i think they're great it's great cruising in the summer everyone's there it's popular um good for swimming good for scuba diving underwater exploring um, but from there, after we checked out, we had to, being Americans, play the Schengen shuffle. So we had to now spend 90 days outside of the, the Schengen zone. And that's where we did it, just one long passage all the way to Albania. 
So it was like, ah. I don't know, it took us 10, 12 days, something like that. So did you go to Sarandi then? Is that the town you went to? Yeah, I see. Yeah, it's, yeah we that's exactly... checked in right there. All the crazy pirate ships floating around at night with the light shows and phone parties. <laughs> Amanda doesn't mean real pirate ships. Yeah. <laughs> this is like tourist pirate ships that oh, are super so fun. fun, though. Well, I've been in that harbor, and it's not that big of a harbor. Was is that? But you were able to spend the ninety days there in that harbor. Or oh did no, you we anchor? didn't spend ninety days there. <laughs> we spent a big chunk of time there because um, we did enjoy that uh, that place a lot. But uh, we actually headed north and did a couple ah, okay, hops to various places. Um, I think. Yeah. So see. so between. Yeah, we checked into Sarande, spent some time there and, and explored inland. And I think uh, sail, sailing Albania, it's you a, don't necessarily go there for the, the sailing portion. It's mostly the inland exploration. Yeah. Um, and it's a great break on pricing because uh, oh, yeah. food and general goods are much, much cheaper. You don't kind of have that med inflated price anymore. So um, mm. that's a nice relief. Well, when but, I when I sailed Albania, it was a pain in the butt because you had to check in and check out of every port, and you had to use a commercial agent to check in and out of ports. And it's not it wasn't ready for prime time. Was that the same situation for you? No, yeah, they've they've kind of made some headway there. They're definitely trying to promote cruising, and they want they they want our crowd there. Um, so that is no longer technically it's no longer a requirement. Though some port officers kind of still want you to like at least say hello, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, it, it's the formality it's a, is gone. Technic the right. technical formality. So yes, you have to use an agent to check in to uh, Sarande, for example, mm -hmm. or one of the major ports. But once you leave, uh, you don't have to check into the minor ports at all. Okay, and it looks to me like you're uh, you're heading around and in and out of little harbors which I was not allowed to do. They did not, you know, because they didn't allow you to go in and out of these little harbors. And I'm looking at your track, and it looks like you went into some little places. I don't know if you spent the night there, if you just duck, ducked in and out. But also, uh, what was this other one? This one that you went down to where they've got the nice big marina uh, about halfway up. And what is the name of this town? Oh, is that Hamare? Yeah. Yeah, so... Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, we, we did spend a lot of time actually sailing the coast. We would go into some of these places for several days, depending on the weather. Um, and there are some great little oh hideouts gosh, yeah. and, and holes um, along this coast. Um, there's a lot of good hiking along the coast. There's a lot of good like hiking trails where you meet hikers that are doing the exploration on land. And, and... Yeah, and, 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 uh, and you're doing the sailing portion. Like We, we got into this one really tight bay. That was a situation where you had to kind of back in and, you know, drop the, the, the anchor forward. Kind and like then, a med more to the rocks. Yeah, and tie yourself in. But um, just amazing experiences. Uh, you know, the, the best anchorages are the ones you really earn. And we had quite a few of those in, in, in Albania. Albania. particularly. And there's so much history um, just roaming around. Like they have the, they still have... Um, pillboxes and tunnels and turrets and all those um, things to explore and it feels like the wild west of of the med maybe because mm -hmm. you know in america especially um those things would be closed off or you know do not enter but over there you're st still able to wander around and feel really like you're exploring a place for the first time well i'm glad it's changed because after i went through the last time i thought well they're not ready for prime time they really don't have very many marina facilities and, and it does i don't think they do anymore but they it felt like you uh, were never welcome for me and uh, you always had to look over your back and worry about the officials and so it's nice to know that they've uh, they've loosened up on that so yeah, yeah. Ab absolutely we would 100 percent recommend cruising albania yeah you, you go in you use your port official and, and you know when you when you pay for that port official it's it, it's whatever some a little bit of money but what essentially i think you're paying for is Kind of like a concierge because <laughs> yeah. if, if you need fuel or you need this part or that part that the port officers are just really helpful and they they try to 
they know people and they and they help navigate that. And they know you. someone at every port. So if you're at another port, you can also message them and they get back with you really quickly because it's a, such a small community. Um, so they are very helpful wherever you go in Albania and they want the best for you as well. They don't want you to be, you know, talking bad about their their facilities. They're really trying to make a name for themselves in that area. Um, so very untouched cruising grounds but i think most people just spend their time there uh, for getting out of schengen but it is it is fun all right and i'm looking here and it looks to me like yeah you went into a oh now you're finally in montenegro i'm looking at this and you finally got to montenegro so you where did you clear out of albania then was yeah, it so albania some of the hot spots when we went up the coast uh we did stop in hamare mm-hmm. um port to palermo um, a lot of people go to Port of Palermo. It's quite a, a protected port. Um, and then we spent a lot of time up in Vlore. Okay. And mm-hmm. that large bay, you have Oricum down in the south. Um, another really cool, when you're in Vlore, you can sail to Cezanne Island, and it's an old military base that uh, uh, Mussolini had a, a house there and some facilities, and it's 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 great to go explore lots of underground tunnels and it's like i said it's a whole military complex that's now since abandoned and you can uh you can walk and explore it yeah you can bring your boat into the base uh you can't spend the night there but you can get really like you can anchor out on the edges and then come into the harbor um in the morning and then leave before dark yeah Uh, but yeah they have um i mean when we were anchoring around there there are military boats um they pair with uh italy to um kind of make sure things are okay around those areas so they will pop by and they'll be like hey like how many people are aboard you know just checking um on their status around the coastline Hmm. yeah yeah since cruising isn't popular you do get quite a few checks but again everyone's just super friendly and they just want to chat and say hello so um but yeah we we checked out of lore um you can sail further north to durez and check out of durez durez is close to the capital city of tirana um so i know a lot of cruisers stop and stop there but the the, facilities didn't look as as welcoming yeah right and the bay is not as protected for anchoring so so yeah we just skipped it checked out of lore and uh, yeah, did an overnight to Montenegro, to Montenegro and, and checked into the uh, first port of call because that's what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I, I the did the opposite of you. I did the opposite of you. I I checked into Dures because I was coming from Montenegro down. I checked into Dures, and you're right. It it was literally eight feet. Uh, was it eight feet? It was about six to eight feet to get from my my boat to the uh, to the to the waterfront. You had to climb up these big trot tires and, and I'm right between big ships and no, no, it, oh, no. <laughs> it was not fun. And then you had to go out <laughs> yeah. through uh, security out to the port because you're only tied up in a commercial port. That's all there is. So, yeah. so I did, and I skipped over Vlores and went further south. So I missed the, uh, probably looks like one of the highlights of, uh, of Albania then. Yeah, I yeah. think Vlore is really nice because it's kind of a university city. has has a nice, very long, big walking center, mm-hmm. and um, has a younger, kind of up and coming vibe as far as like restaurants. They have a good coffee culture that's really starting there, so a lot of coffee shops mm-hmm. um, and, and pastry shops. And in Vlore, it's a great anchorage. It's it's a big bay. It's fairly well protected. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the whole time we were just at anchor, so, yeah, no need for any facilities. All right, I'm looking at the, my tracks, and, yeah, I did go to Vlores, but I didn't go into the town of Vlores. I just went to the marina way down south where it looks like, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, it looks oh, like Lord. you went that. Yeah. Yeah. Oka Marina is where I went. And, yeah, uh, we went down there to escape some um, weather at one point, but we didn't actually explore that area. Okay. All right. So, into Montan... Yeah, we went to Montenegro after that and checked into bar, because uh, that's the first port you can. And then we kind of beelined it into uh, Couture, like everyone. Like everyone, it's that was magical in there. So you checked into bar, okay? 
Yeah, and that's where I checked out of uh, uh, out of Montenegro was in Bar, and I actually went around the corner and spent one night a little farther south just at Anchor before I headed down to Albania. So that's where uh-huh, you okay. that's where you spent uh, that's where you finally got through the ninety days, or did you now Croatia? Don't they the ninety days doesn't apply in Croatia, does it, or does it? It does, yeah. They're, they're they're members of the EU and the Schengen zone, so. Uh, oh wait, I you're right. I don't they're, know. They've applied for it, but they haven't gotten it yet. I thought. Uh, okay, our information could be totally wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's irrelevant though, because we never went to Croatia. Yeah. Oh really? Exactly. You you skipped over Croatia? Yeah, I'm seeing the track, and you just basically boogied on up to. Uh, What's the name of that? Oh, that's uh, Slovenia. Slovenia, yeah, and I've been right into that. Just the odd one, I guess. Yeah, not very many. There's not much coastline, but Slovenia uh, is where we ended up checking back into the EU, which highly recommend if you're doing that. A lot of people, I guess, do it from Croatia, but uh, it's a very easy check in there, and um, then you could just, yeah, hop your way back in the EU. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking. Yeah, so Slovenia, we found was a, a great. Uh, yeah, country to to explore is is uh, like a lot of great walking and the check-in we checked in a city called Peran mm-hmm. um, super easy yeah, easiest check-in I think to the EU yeah. and great anchoring all around and a great peninsula and kind of a touristy area so yeah that that's uh, that was a wonderful wonderful memory all right. It sounds to me like uh, we've gone on long enough today. I need to get you back for a continuation of the adventure. Part two. <laughs> so, so we got we barely scratched the surface here, and I think you have a good story to tell. I think people are in, enjoying it. So let's cut it off today and come back in a week or so and continue on. Does that sound okay with you? That sounds, that sounds great. wonderful. All right. Before we go, uh, give people the. Uh, URL of your website and tell them what you're doing then right now. Yeah, our our company name is outer-passage.com, it's outer passage. And yeah, we offer inshore and offshore sailing opportunities on uh, what we have now to Neil 45 performance trimaran. All right. Good. Darren Amanda, I look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Sweet. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. much. It's been a pleasure. Yep. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f- What the f- gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Joe, do you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. It's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? (laughs) Thank you.